0: We are continuing in our series in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, So let me read that for us, and then we'll get into that this morning. It says this, Matthew chapter 6, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And as we finish this series, that's the verse that we're gonna be on uh, today. The gospel message is not just that Jesus has made us more moral. It's that he's taken corpses And made us fully alive in him. And what he's saying here is he's saying pray uh, and let me lead you more and more towards that life and towards freedom. Because he knows there's this reality that there's a a pull in us and a pull in the world to pull us back towards the things uh, that lead to death. Back towards the destructive practices that he's freed us up from. There, There are things in us and things in the world that solicit our mind. And stir up our affections and enact our will to move towards death and destruction. And so that's why Jesus tells us to pray this. Lead us not into temptation, not just forgiveness for past sins, but that we might resist new ones. And again, we live in this reality where we've been set free, but there's still a pull back to that which enslaves us. Uh, it actually reminds me of the show, The Biggest Loser. I have no idea if it's still on, but um, there was this guy, his name was uh, Eric Chopin. And Eric Chopin, I think, was like season three or season four comes on the show. He's like 415 pounds. He says, I have to do something. This is killing me. I have to lose weight. He actually wins the show. He goes down to like 190 pounds, something like that. Uh, Loses like the most amount of weight ever up to that date on on the show. Uh, Wins the show. They catch up with him a few years later. And when he moved back home... He had slowly started to return to all his old unhealthy habits, and his weight was back up to like 400 pounds. He goes on Oprah. He's talking about it, and you look at that, and you're like, Eric, what, what happened? How, how does, how does that happen? You were, you were set free. Why did you go back to that which held you captive? But that's our reality, and that's what. Us, as followers of Jesus, we walk in and out of every day. We, we know we've been set free, but there is a, a pull back to that which is killing us. And so what Jesus invites us here, too, is uh, for us to submit to the leading of God in our times of temptation. Really, this whole prayer is reordering our perspective around him as father, uh, not just having more information about what's right and what's wrong or what we can do, what we can't do, but really changing our whole perspective and trusting in faith, the leading of our father. So lead us not into temptation is a prayer of faith. A prayer that trusts that Jesus is better. Not just, again, simply more information about our morality, um, because information will not change it for you. Because you can know the right thing and do the wrong thing. There's this comedian who's got this bit about McDonald's. And he's saying, you know, we all saw the documentary. we all heard all the stories. We know that the food is high in fat and high in calories. We're not even sure where the meat comes from but yet they're selling six billion hamburgers a year. And he says, we don't go into it innocently. He's like, no one ever walks into McDonald's thinking that they were walking into a library, but yet we still go. So simply knowing the right thing is not enough. and I think particularly in this season, we're, we're probably feeling it more and more because anxiety is high. Our homes are, are more chaotic and stressful than normal. Uh, we have more time and idleness on our hands. And so it feels like right now in this season, the pull of these behaviors and thought patterns is very strong on us. And we know that those thought patterns and behaviors lead to death, but there's something about them that are enticing. And so we need to be led out of those things, so I want to cover uh, just real quickly uh, a few things that we need to understand about temptation. The first thing that we need to understand about temptation is that you're not alone. You're not alone. The, the first Corinthians tells us this. First Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So whatever you're struggling with, someone else is struggling with. Whatever you battle, somebody else is battling. Wherever you've failed, so many have failed before you. The second thing we need to understand about temptation is that it's not if, but when you are tempted because we are all tempted. Uh, James says this, James chapter one, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Now, temptation itself is not a sin. Jesus was tempted. We see that in Luke chapter 4, and the author of Hebrews actually speaks to that. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says this, "'Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin.'" So what it's telling us is that for Jesus, temptation was a very real experience. The third thing that we need to understand about temptation is that God is not tempted with evil, nor does he tempt with evil. God is not tempted with evil, nor does he tempt with evil. So we can't blame our inability to resist temptation on the fact that God is tempting us. And what James is saying is like, look, when you're faced with that temptation, you need to be able to size it up. And identify that God is not a part of it and pray that we would be led out of it. The last thing, uh, temptations are not trials. Temptations are not trials. Trials are meant for our proving, for our strengthening our relationship with God. Uh, Temptations are not from God and they are designed for our destruction. So trials he will cause or allow to make us steadfast in our faith and our relationship with him but God is not in your temptation. Okay, so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, what is Jesus actually telling us to pray? There's one commentator who I think really helps me with this, really simplifies it this way. He says this, the key to what lead us not into temptation means is found in the fact that the word translated temptation has two meanings. It can denote an enticement that has the goal of causing one to sin, which James has told us God is not into, or it can refer to a test or trial of the validity of one's faith. So the meaning of lead us not into temptation is simply, God, do not allow us to come under the sway of temptation that will overpower us and cause us to sin. We cannot help being exposed to temptation And we are not to pray that we will be spared being tempted at all. Rather, we are to pray that we will be spared by those temptations from Satan that we cannot withstand. So Jesus is teaching us to pray. Lord, lead me. Give me the faith. Give me the confidence in you. Help me to trust that when you say you and your way are better, I'll believe it and I'll walk in that. Lead me not into temptation, not to follow the things that lead to death, not to follow the things that lead to more slavery, but to follow you and to follow your ways of living and deliver us from the evil one. And that's what Tim is gonna talk about next.
1: So the end of verse 13 um, says to deliver us from evil. most translations, most modern translations would add um, the thought of evil one there, that evil isn't a subject. Or a thing, it's a person, um, and I think that's right. Uh, one uh, theologian said that behind every temptation is a tempter, behind every lie is a liar, and, and that's that's true, right? Th- this prayer fundamentally reminds us of how real Satan is, but it also tells us about, about how weak we are, and 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 the fear or the understanding and the, the respect, I suppose, or the f- respectful fear that those two realities should have on us um, is obvious I would think it's like an athlete who you hear all the time professional athletes about throwing up before a big game they get nerves they're they're, they're they have a respectful fear about what they're uh, engaged in and that's truly what should be affected in us by the reality that there is a there's an evil one trying to resist God in us right this prayer is also a reminder that even though Satan wants something from us that's evil um at the same moment of temptation, God does too. He wants something from us as well. Satan wants to destroy us according to the scriptures and God wants to perfect us. And you know this, God wins. Let me share it with you, a, uh, a real story illustration. Luke 22 tells the story of the disciples and the, and the one particular disciple I want to use as an illustration is Peter uh, let me get you caught up in the story. In, in Luke 22, the Lord has just uh, instituted the Lord's Supper using the bread and the cup. Right after that moment, there's an argument that breaks out with the disciples about who's the greatest, that's weird. But right on the, right on the heels of that moment, um, Jesus looks at Peter and says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your, your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And you know how this finishes. Peter says, that's not going to happen. I'll fight for you. I'll die for you. And Jesus says, you won't make it out of the day until you deny me three times. Just a short paragraph later, the disciples and Jesus go to the Mount of Olives to pray. And the weight of God's wrath is now coming on Jesus. And he says to his disciples, pray that you will not enter into temptation. He goes, Jesus goes off to pray on his own only to have the disciples fall asleep in the most agonizing moment for the Savior. Jesus comes back and finds them sleeping. And he says to them again, rise and pray that you might not fall into temptation. That whole scenario of Jesus saying to Peter um, that Satan is asked to sift you, and this is how it's going to turn out. And we know how it turns out. Peter does deny him. Uh, tells us many, many things. One of the things that you can see in this illustration is that Jesus already knew about Peter's coming failure. He predicted it. He said it. His response to that that event was to pray. But I've prayed for you, Peter. And he tells Peter, too, and the other disciples to pray that they won't fall into temptation. This is the same thought here in the last verse of the Lord's Prayer. Pray, pray that you won't fall into temptation, that you cannot resist, that God would deliver you from the evil one. That is the prayer of Jesus. But I want you to notice that he didn't pray for us to avoid the temptation. It's to avoid the failure of the temptation. And Jesus knew something else, and this is really profound here. Jesus knew Peter wouldn't fall away. Yeah, he's he's gonna deny me, but he won't be lost. And Jesus knew that God was going to transform Peter, that he was going to use Peter and affect the the church for centuries to come. And that's true. So pray this prayer. Pray that you'll be spared the temptations of the evil one, that you will not be able to resist. Pray that. But I want you to be encouraged, church, to know this that Jesus, just like he prayed for Peter, he prays for you too. In fact, that the The scriptures tell us in Hebrews chapter seven, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. I love that because I picture this being something very personal for Jesus. This isn't Jesus saying something grand just about the church. Jesus is making intercession for you. He's praying for Tim. He's praying for whoever you are by name, that you would be able to resist that kind of evil one's temptation in your life and that God would grow you in the midst of it. And that is his promise. What do you think Peter learned? Well, he tells us in, in his epistle what he learned. In 1 Peter, he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that in the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So be sober-minded and be watchful. This is where Peter is sort of telling his story. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal um, glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. What do you think Peter learned? (laughs) He learned humility. He learned wisdom, clearly. He learned that, that Jesus plus nothing, there was nothing he could boast in. There was no strength in himself. And he understood probably more profound than most of the superabounding grace of God for us. So yes, church, we pray. We pray like crazy. God, don't ever let me experience a temptation that I cannot resist. But I want you to be encouraged, church. Even, even if you fall, you will not fall away because the grace of God's hands holds you up. That is an encouragement for us today.
2: We now want to drive to a point of application. What does this reality mean as we pray the prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? We've seen that this is deliver us from the evil one. Um, And the work of the enemy, the work of the devil is very specific. The work of the devil is to seek, kill, and to destroy. It's ultimately to divide us from the great commandment. Jesus himself said the greatest of all the commandments is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I like to say that ultimately it's loving God with all of our everything. And then he says the second is like it and cannot be unhinged from it, but it's to love our neighbors as ourselves. And the work of the enemy is to get inside of that and divide us from loving God with all of our everything and to divide us ultimately from each other. This is really important to understand that The devil is always seeking to destroy the work of God and the work of God is to get us to love him with all of his everything and to love our neighbors, whoever they may be, as we love ourselves. In fact, the progression that comes to us through the New Testament isn't just ending that we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves, but we're called to love as Jesus loves. And the way in which Jesus loved is through death. He was willing to die to himself for the joy that was set before him, the joy that his people would be one even as he and the Father are one. We see this played out in his prayer in John 17 prior to going to the cross, is that he's pleading with his Father that we would be one even as he is one with the Father. As God is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he wants us to enter into that union and oneness with him and ultimately with each other. Now we live in a time right now where oneness is not obviously seen anywhere. It actually, division is the easiest thing for us to see. And in the midst of this coronavirus crisis, many of us are wedded to our own opinions. This is what we think should happen to reopen the economy, or this is what we are certain should happen to protect our population. And you can see camps beginning to form even inside our own homes, Sometimes it might even be inside our own selves. And God wants us unified, first and foremost, submitting to him and in love of neighbor. So as we pray this prayer, Lord, deliver us from the evil one. We're praying, Lord, deliver us from the division of us and you. Deliver us from the division of us and each other, which necessitates a humility to say, I don't know what I don't know. I'm not totally certain what the answer is. It necessitates a humility to understand the complexity of this situation, that a decision may be good for one group and bad for another group. And if it's good for that other group, it may be bad for the original group. These are very challenging times and we have to have the humility to recognize that. We also have to have the love that Jesus had to die to our own opinions even while we still hold them, even while we're convinced in our own mind that our love would necessitate that there's a greater reality a higher law, the apostle Paul says, and it's the law of love. And as we pursue the greatness of the love of God that Satan wants to try to destroy, and we seek to pursue great love of our neighbors, of our family members, of those in our church and outside of our church, even with those who don't go to church or have any faith at all, the pursuit of this, the devil is against. So when we pray the prayer, Lord, deliver us from evil. We are praying a prayer, Lord, help us love. God, you are love, love others through us. God, conjure in me, develop in me the love you call me to have for yourself. Evil is everything that's against us because it's everything that's against God and God is for us. There are really two things that destroy evil. Jesus Christ in his life, his death, in his resurrection. This good news of the gospel destroys the works of the devil, John tells us in 1 John. The second one is when Christ returns again. And in between these two moments of the destruction of evil and the complete and final doing away with evil, we have faith. We have faith in the cross of Jesus Christ and we have faith that he is gonna come again. And Jesus says, this is why every time we gather together, we take these elements, the bread and the cup, the bread representing his body, which was crushed for us on our behalf, given for us, and we eat in remembrance of him. And the cup, which represents the shedding of his blood, this new covenant that we can love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength because and only because he loved us with all of his everything. So as you right now have the elements in front of you, we are gonna partake of communion together. This remembering of the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is the center point of all of human history, and he's the center point of our faith until evil is completely and finally abolished. We drink in remembrance of him. We eat in remembrance of him. So right now, as you pick up these elements that you have prepared for yourself, we remember Christ's body. Let us eat. And now we take the cup and we remember his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sin and the sin of the world. Let us drink. Redemption Gilbert, it's great to be with you again. We participate in Christ together. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are the one who fully and completely destroys the work of the devil through your life, death, resurrection, and ascension. God, we love you. We pray that you would make yourself tangible to us today and throughout this week. In Christ's name we pray, amen.